Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is a special episode of the Body Serve, completely tennis free. We know over the years that you, in particular, like to do these pop culture diversions. They tend to have not much direction. Mm-hmm. That's no shade to you. We've done TV episodes. We've done music episodes. This one is more, it's more focused, and and hopefully the format will lend itself to us being able to come up with an agenda to do this kind of hashtag yes or mess episode more frequently in the future. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see if if the format works. Yeah. Well, how is it going to work for this one? What what oh, should I, folks? Be I guess expecting? we're just having a bunch of different subjects and they'll be assigned yes or mess. And I, I feel like the ruling is going to be fairly obvious on everyone. Yeah, it's not, it's not like it's a not, vote. It's not up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> there will be some nuance within the topics. Some of them aren't all yeses or all messes. For example, topic number one, which is the election. Yeah, uh, so we're still holding on. There has been no call made yet, but it looks... Well, I'm not even going to verbalize what it looks like so far. Uh, but it has been an entire week-long event. I have not slept much at all this week. Oh, well, on Tuesday night, I did not sleep at all because I was having two 2016 flashbacks. And I went to bed almost resigned to thinking that, oh, I guess Trump is going to win, so fuck my life. Well, you were a bit of a mess for thinking that at that time. Right, but this is, how can any of us know that was, what, that a, was scar what a pandemic election is like? Uh, you know, some states were counting early ballots, some states were reporting same-day ballots. It was very confusing. I, I think you just weren't really paying close enough attention. I saw a lot of early Biden leads, and then they were getting erased. Yes. Dramatically. What I'm right? saying is... You were just on your phone and not not listening to the explanations. Mm-hmm. Well, so we've been watching TV for the past, what, three days? And I don't think I've learned anything over the past two nights, at least. There's a reason for that, mm-hmm. in that not much has happened. But also, again, boils down to not paying much attention. That's, how can you pay attention? Oh my god, the cable <laughs> news for like four hours in a row. And there's no news, but it has taught us to... Uh, Exercise a little patience with the elections. Elections are not designed around TV schedules, or they shouldn't be. That said, it's been a slog. It sure has. And and part of that has to do with the adjustments that had to be made due to the pandemic, with so many mail-in ballots being cast. And now we have a lot of volunteers, people who are poorly paid, counting these votes. Folks here think that it's simply telling, well, this is a pile for Biden, this is a pile for that other person. When in fact there's, in some states, so many other things to count on that ballot. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a lot to go through. Oh, right. The yeah. other, I kind of forgot about the other things, uh-huh. right? The thousands of local elections, yeah. your National House of Representatives and Senate. Judges. So we part of this mess, the mess of this, is the way folks are coming for these poll workers, these vote counters. Like, let, let's, let's just chill a little bit here. How did we get here, though, after having lived through the last four years? Girl, I don't know. I am not a political analyst. I will tell you, my philosophy is that... So Trump did like a 0%. He got like an F- minus on the on COVID, right? If he got like a D-, minus, he would have won easily, in my, in my opinion. 
wartime presidents, crisis presidents get reelected. Incumbents very frequently, more often than not, get reelected. And if you are an incumbent who is seen as guiding your country through this serious problem, you've got it in the bag. I think there are two flaws with that argument. Mm. One being the the wartime, the crisis time president in in this president's situation would a good performance there would suppress the democratic vote. There was nothing he was going to be doing with this pandemic with everything that happened this year as well with the Black Lives Matter movement with the anti-black violence that we've seen there was nothing that was going to suppress that vote. And then also on the other side of that his turnout is directly tied to the way he handled the coronavirus pandemic, I think. That he was able to gin up all this fervor on the virus being a fraud, a hoax, a conspiracy targeted to to undercut his chances in November. That's what brought his people up to the vote. Oh, you oh, think so? I think so, yeah. I mean, these people, mm. they do not vote at all in their best interest in any way. Economic, intellectually, right. health-wise. Like, this is all about all the isms mm-hmm. and stupidity. To get to the point where I asked, how did we get here? It's not just about the last four years. This is something that that has roots in Reaganism. It's been building for 30 plus years. The idea that America was a post-racial country, which is something that was banded about during the Obama presidency or the fact that he was elected, complete bollocks, right? Well, So many things happened over the last 30 years and so many GOP actors contributed to getting us to where we are. And there was a particularly chilling moment for me a couple nights ago when I came across John McCain's concession speech from 2008. We kind of look back at John McCain now as a seriously, seriously flawed figure. Mm. But some want to lionize him, and there's obviously great problems with that. But in that moment, despite bringing Sarah Palin into the National Four, he identified the unique achievement and, and was able to put his finger on the pulse of the moment with America electing its first black president and kind of the historical significance of that and begged, beseeched his followers, the party, to to move forward in a way that we know we will not even get 1% of this time around. And that 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 100% that McCain gave in 08 has gradually and then precipitously fallen to less than 1% now. And for that kind of rapid shrinkage to happen in American culture in the span of, what, 12 years is kind kind of shocking, really. Mm -hmm. Shrinkage indeed. Big shrinkage energy. I mean, a lot of that is theater, right? This peaceful transition of power that the outgoing president has to concede and be nice and everything. And that's civility, right? That's what Trump lacks. But so many Republican presidents and Democratic presidents have been extremely destructive and that politeness only goes so far, you know? So, like, I don't like to lionize that sort of performativity. Yeah, absolutely performative, but it went beyond that, that Mm. night, in my opinion. Fair enough. When contrasted with what it is that we're going through today. (laughs) Indeed. Was Biden the right candidate after all? I mean, this is something that Mm. you've grappled with. Yes, and honestly, I reject the question at this point because I don't know. I don't really care. Like, it looks like he's going to win the presidency. Getting Trump out was 
was really the only goal. The absolute best we could have hoped for in 2020 was to get this asshole out of public office. That's it. I don't know that any of the other more progressive candidates would have won. People that I would have preferred to vote for, they pr probably wouldn't have won. However, a lot of progressive grassroots activists are who made this happen. And a lot of those people who, uh, a lot of like centrist Democrats is expected to, to have all these sour grapes, like AOC, the squad, you know, people in like the Bernie camp, they, they got out there, they canvassed, they encouraged their constituents to vote for Joe Biden, despite their disagreements, right? They recognize like the importance of this moment. Somebody who's really come out looking so much better through the throughout this whole process is AOC. Yeah, yeah. She she's managed to move past being cast in certain immovable boxes. Mm -hmm. Like she's to get the you work know, done. The celebrity bartender, upstart congresswoman. No, she's actually an incredibly smart politician now. Not a former bartender. She's a politician who knows how to engage with people mm. who are younger than her which is really important. She can drag you on TikTok while getting her point across, <laughs> and then she can engage in serious, nitty-gritty policy discussions on how to get them done on a very micro level that most politicians can't, and so many don't even try. One of the other yeses that became really clear last night as Georgia turned from red to blue in the, in the tally, it hasn't been called for Biden yet, but Stacey Abrams' work in Georgia after having her gubernatorial run stolen from her in 2018. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I still recall vividly following that race. And afterward, I was kind of bowled over by how she handled that. Not being super bitter about it, but laying out the groundwork for how she was going to get to work. And she did. Yeah, it's just really, really impressive. You know, I don't know what her aspirations are if she wants to hold a high elected office, but she's incredibly successful at this, right? At building voters from the ground up, finding voters who have never voted before or have been disenfranchised for many different reasons. Like she learned from that election in Georgia. And at the same time, an election was essentially stolen in Florida as well. Finally, former convicted felons are allowed to vote and now a poll tax has been instituted right so this fight never goes away the targets are always moving and we have a supreme court that does not support the voting rights act not two months ago folks were out here decrying stacy abrams putting her hat into the vice presidential ring for joe biden to pick her i mean she didn't put herself there biden was if you recall was floating this around from even before he won the nomination. Mm -hmm. and At one point, he was saying, I'm going to tell you what my ticket is. And hers was one of the very first names that we heard. And folks was like, folks were like, well, what has she done? As it turns out. <laughs> Quite a lot behind the scenes. But and, listen, how many nationally recognized women, and especially black women, are there in U.S. politics? There's a very short list and she's on it, whether you believe her credentials or not. And so now we're in a situation where folks are kind of roundly dismissing her, some ridiculing her not two months ago, to now praising her as the savior of American democracy. Yeah, so this is where we need to tread carefully. This is the right? hyperbole, This is right? elevating black politicians to the level of savior, 
this is in some ways uh, related to this film motif of the magical Negro, right? It's like we have to depend on these almost celestial black Americans to save the rest of us when really white people should be saving ourselves, uh, right? This is the damage that we did. We cannot re rely on a few incredibly impassioned and ethical black Americans to, to bail us out every time. I get a little nervous, a little uncomfortable when I see stuff like that. I've seen this political cartoon going around with the late John Lewis laid down, like between two precipices, two cliffs, and a lot of people walking over his back to vote. The man is dead, and you have a lot of people literally walking over him to cast their ballot. It is very weird. It's this bridge symbolism. Yeah. Totally misplaced and cringe at this point. And uh, you were not pleased when John Ossoff showed up on TV with that framed in his background. Like, no. show us some no. cute books or something, but like, you as a white man need to not have that in your background. <laughs> right. The last thing I'll say on Stacey Abrams, she was seen as perhaps too ambitious too soon, two months ago. Now, folks want to give her every job in the land to do all the work, emotional and physical, to get the job done for other people. <laughs> right. This is a woman, you just said, you don't know what her political aspirations are. She chose not to run for Senate this time around. And perhaps her goal is to become president. She's, what, 47 years old? Highly accomplished, has made great contributions to the democratic cause. That is her right. Mm -hmm. If she, Whatever she wants to do now, she doesn't owe anybody anything to do anything more at the grassroots and on the ground. And she's got time because in America, you do have to be past retirement age to be president these days. So let's get into the fun stuff about the election. So we've been watching MSNBC. I never, ever, ever, ever watch cable news. I don't watch any broadcast news except for 60 Minutes occasionally. Mm -hmm. But I, I do watch. Right. Well, I've alternated long stretches of watching a lot of cable news and taking long breaks. Mm -hmm. In uh, early 2017, I had to take a long time <laughs> oh, away yeah. from that. Yeah, just for mental health. I'm more of a, a public radio snob, I would say. CBC, NPR. The thirst that was just flooding Twitter last night for all of these cable news analysts. They're, specifically, they're chart throbs. <laughs> John King and... Steve Kornacki. And then also Phil Mattingly, who is John... Who is that? He's John King's sub. No, he was a Yankees first baseman, I think. That's Don Mattingly. But uh, these guys feature prominently whenever there's elections, right? So every two years or so, they have a huge profile on cable news. I'm very familiar with Kornacki. I, I knew he was gay a long time ago. That was very dispiriting to a lot of straight women last night when they found out. Personally, I don't get it for two reasons. And this is to mean no disrespect to Steve Kornacki. I am not about the uniform. I don't care if Rachel Maddow wants to tell me that he has five of the same color mm -hmm, pants. Mm -hmm. I don't need to see them all day, every day, 24-7. No, 24 he is literally wearing the same exact thing as he wore yesterday. Yeah. I, and I'm that's, that's I'm a choice. I'm sure it's a fresh, a fresh shirt, fresh pants, everything, but it's the same exact thing. That's a choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, these people have stylists at their disposal. Like, that is not my aesthetic personally, one. And then the other thing, he had this cool moment for him, and folks loved it, 
when in real time he's updating the board and he's doing the math in his head and he's looking at the numbers and with his finger doing the mental math and then the board updates in real time just after he's given us what the calculation is for the subtraction of these five figure digits, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That is not impressive to me because it is very impressive to I me. I understand, like that is a strength. That's the literally the only mathematical strength I have to do quick math in my head. <laughs> that is true. That is true. You can add and subtract large numbers where I'm like I'm crossing out the zero and carrying the one, and I can't do it. Yeah. So for me, it's about asking more for yourself personally. No disrespect to Steve. I'm sure he's a lovely man. Oh, I thought you were talking about me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've already crossed that bridge. There's no turning back. Um, no, but when he's he's doing things like, okay, so there's 20,000 votes to come from Maricopa County, and it has to trend at 59% in favor of Trump because this and this and this. And I'm like, okay, Isaac Newton, like, how did you figure that out on TV in front of all of us? I thought I was smarter than this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, folks, folks went wild. Personally, I'm, while well, he's not one of these big board jumbotron real-time numbers guys Gotti schwartz is where i'm at personally Mm -hmm. oh most definitely but can we talk about big batch yeah i've heard the term (laughs) big batch at least a hundred times in the last day in the last 24 hours we got got another big batch we got a big batch coming from philadelphia we're talking about bucks county delaware county we got a batch coming from Center County. That's where Penn State is. We got King of Prussia Mall reporting. Erie County, Pennsylvania. Now, let me take you back to Arizona with Maricopa County. We don't know the nature of these ballots coming in, but we do believe it will favor Donald Trump slightly. But will it be enough? We got to hold on. We got a big batch coming from Las Vegas, Clark County, Nevada. Sorry to interrupt you, Rachel, but I've got a big batch coming in right now. <laughs> and let me tell you, the big batch energy works for people. Oh, like, and in, in this period where people are lacking sleep, mm-hmm. hungover, only to be drunk again within a few hours, <laughs> sprawled out on the couch, feeling like the world is ending, you, you got to take your wins where you can get them. Yeah. So that's and, a big yes. And this year has really sucked. So if you can get a little entertainment from political coverage, fine. And not for nothing, to be able to exist in the Twittersphere and be a part of this thirsting without having the... If we did that to woman crowd, nipping at your heels, oh like Lord. to be able to have that mm. safe space, if only for one night, while these this batch of people were cry screaming in their bunkers and not to be seen, that was glorious. By means of a transition, Donald Trump may very well be fired soon. Oh, this is moving good. on I to somebody he fired from The Apprentice. <laughs> Somebody who's got a Trump check. A Trump check. I am very rich, but she is very unemployed. Uh, Miss so Lenitia so. Leakes of Athens, Georgia. While uh, some of the other housewives are, you know, Portia is protesting, getting arrested for the cause. Cynthia is having is a super spreader hosting, wedding. Exactly. A COVID wedding. Thank you for coming. Here's your COVID. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nene Leakes. Fired from Real Housewives of Atlanta and is now launching her own, I can only assume, Instagram series. Facebook TV, perhaps? Yeah. A series of TikToks. The launch of it was on her Instagram stories Mm -hmm. feed. It's called The Reading Session. She has a gaggle of gay men behind her. Mm -hmm. 
who are assisting in the reading. And, Not uh, very well, mind you. No. And the promo video was shot inside what looked to be an Atlanta strip club that was literally under construction. I thought it was a bowling alley. There were there were construction workers walking around behind them inside the club. <laughs> <laughs> it I could not believe how low budget it was because we, you've seen Nini's house. Like L- listen, people people have to hustle. As you said she's unemployed. She's out here hustling fine. The issue here is what the actual hustle is. Mm-hmm. It's a complete ripoff of The Read, to right. be frank. Right. And let's be clear here, this is not out of step for Nene Leakes to be borrowing, pilfering, stealing from black gay culture. Mm-hmm. And so she has this, as you said, a what? Cackle? A gaggle. A gaggle of gay men behind her intended to prop her up as their queen when she has existed in such close proximity to heinous homophobia on Real Housewives before, if not blatantly outright. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will say, the people who have worked with Nini as an actor before say she is highly professional. Like, she comes there, she knows her lines, she does her work, she's nice to everybody. And so, that that professional Nini is at odds with the one we see on Real Housewives. Who needs to manufacture mess. Yeah, so, like, is that Nini... Uh, a reality TV creation. It, like, is that what gets her bills paid, basically? Like, that, a, like a Tiffany New York Pollard, right? That said, Ryan Murphy, once he works with you, he will keep working with you. Mm-hmm. And he has not worked with her oh. since that, what was that TV show, that sitcom? Yeah, that the one with, with Andrew Justin Reynolds. Yeah, yeah, I forgot what it was called, but, you know, she really, she is not bad. No. Like, she's really she, not she bad. She has a place. Mm. Anyway. So, you know, I... Don't count out the possibility that Nini could someday return to Real Housewives of Atlanta. It's possible, but I would say it's less possible uh, than it was before because she's called Andy Cohen a racist. And supposedly they were good friends. But that's the thing, which is not necessarily not true. (laughs) Oh, I know. So. It may not even be for the reasons she's saying it. Yeah. But it may not be totally unfounded. But the way she handled the accusations of homophobia on that reunion, specifically mm. asked by Andy Cohen, and the way she got defensive and totally sidestepped and ignored what she had said and done, that was the final straw yeah. for yeah. me, personally. Moving on from that mess to another mess. I cannot believe you even put this on the agenda. <laughs> so... Kanye West presented a hologram of Robert Kardashian Sr. as a birthday present for his wife, Kimberly Kardashian. Why would anybody want this? Wait, was this at the island, the private island getaway, or is this after they came back? Because I didn't see Kanye in any of those photos. I'm sure, obviously, he was campaigning uh, at the time. (laughs) I could be wrong, but I think it was a separate occasion. Okay. Surprisingly, Chloe's father, O.J. Simpson's hologram, was not there, <laughs> sadly. That would that'd be a Skype call from Florida. Right. <laughs> Perhaps a, a Twitter video, because he is on Twitter. <laughs> of what? I I don't really know what to say about this, because I don't watch the Kardashian yeah. shit. I, <laughs> Kim says she enjoyed it, which it was intended for her. Fine. That's... Totally mm. fine. That's what's clear to me. Your is, family. What's clear to me is rich people clearly have no idea how to spend their millions. 
<laughs> like, I've got it. I've just got to spend it somehow. Like, mm-hmm. this, is, this is the height of frivolously dipping into your, was it, your petty cash, your... <laughs> Right, I have like a spare 100 grand laying around in cash. I think I will buy a hologram of Robert Kardashian. I'm going to script it for what I think or want him to say. But like, where did they, did they get it from home movies? Was it from the OJ trial? Like, what was it from? Was it David Schwimmer in The People vs. OJ Simpson? Or was it actually Robert? But, I mean, you have families and estates of famous dead musicians making money off of their late family members' holograms. Yeah, I find that We've cringe, seen, too. Exactly. We see Prince, Whitney, Whitney Prince. Prince, who explicitly stated he didn't want any of that when he was dead and gone. Yeah. And there he is. Well, we blew right through Halloween, huh? I, I, like, we were trying to scramble to get an episode together before Halloween, because I wanted to talk about some horror movies that I've been watching and that I really like. And it's... It's not topical anymore. And that's not a yes or miss. You're just, oh. you're straying. Well, it's a pop from... culture episode, so I was going yeah. to share mm-hmm. some Yeah, but there's a format. Culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. So anyway, Hocus Pocus did a little reunion. You could pay $10 to uh, to watch their live, whatever platform it was on. Reunion, Which we they, did. We did. They invited all these famous people like Meryl Streep, Glenn Close. Who else? Martin Short. Hosted by Elvira. Billy Eichner. And then, of course, the three. Basically, the entire cast of Hocus Pocus, who are still alive. Sadly, Gary Marshall has passed, so he wasn't able to join. He was replaced by John Stamos. We got a special appearance from Max, played by Omri Katz, who's virtually disappeared from Hollywood after Hocus mm-hmm. Pocus. Who's retired from acting, I think. Mm-hmm. But he, I mean, he looks like kind of the same. He looks really good. He looks good. Yeah, he definitely doesn't look the same. Well... I mean, he's like nearly a 50-year-old man. He looks good. But I did jump when I saw him (laughs) because (laughs) Uh, he was a fave back in the day. Oh, right. You know, Hocus Pocus, I've discovered, is something that uh, it doesn't really translate to older or younger generations. Millennials is the target demographic for Hocus Pocus. And I've known people who are in Gen X who've gone back to watch it to see like what is what is the commotion about this movie and they're like i don't get it and for me i can't understand how it's not appealing especially if you're a gay man right it's it's canon right uh, bet midler kathy jimmy carrie bradshaw they, before she was carrie bradshaw there's a song and dance number there's sort of macabre silly comedy like, madonna it's, references it's so entertaining Penny Marshall and Gary Marshall both have cameos. Like, it's so funny. And so when people say, like, I don't get Hocus Pocus or it's a crappy movie, I'm like, get out. I read this. Well, I didn't read. I got through a third of it. I think this article on Bustle saying how we know y'all love it. We know it's becoming like this iconic thing. But sorry, the movie is crap. It's like, oh, my God, it's not Citizen Kane. I'm (laughs) so sorry. Have you heard of Camp? (laughs) <laughs> Do you understand this genre? Anyway, this was a big yes for me. The actual storytelling and uh, like the, the majority of the hour was not enjoyable. It's not. It wasn't really that funny. But there the, were a lot of cringe moments. Like the Glenn Close, Cruella Deville moment was not great. Terrible. Not good. And to be honest, I expected more from Meryl because her comic timing is generally mm. very good. I appreciate the effort though, mm-hmm. and it, yeah. it's for a good cause. What was it the New York Restoration Project? 
to make sure that there are green spaces in, in the city. Right, right. Um, but speaking of- a big yes, the surprise we got at the end, how could you forget that bit? I've... You've I've, forgotten. I forgot. Winifred Sanderson is knocking on all these doors, virtually, and the last one, yes. it's opened by Ms. Mariah Carey. She was not billed in the show. It was a special surprise. And she's like, Winifred Sanderson, my, 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 you're here looking for candy. Git, go, be gone. It's my turn now. And then the show ends with all I want for Christmas is you. <laughs> the credits roll over the in full song. It is now Mariah Carey season, which coincidentally is your next bullet point on the agenda. We have indeed entered Mariah's season officially. Luckily for me, one of the few yeses, resounding yeses of 2020 is that it's been, in fact, a Mariah year. Mm -hmm. It's the 30th year of her in the music industry. She celebrated it by uh, giving the fans, the lambs, this MC30 campaign. We're leading up to the release of her memoir and this Rarities album. Every Friday, for months leading up to it, she gave us snippets from the vault. This is what you can do when you write your music and you own the masters. And when you have the talent and the range. Mm -hmm. When you have the range, your vault is expensive. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot to draw from. Unfortunately for a lot of fans, we still have not gotten the Underneath the Stars video. Mariah will be out here tweeting about voting, uh, police violence, anti-black racism, all this stuff. And fans are like, yeah, that's cute and all, but where is the video? <laughs> As if she hasn't given us so much right. already this the year. The stuff that we didn't even know existed. Exactly. The Irene Carr cover on the rarities. Never knew that existed. Mm. Such a gem. What I want to focus on here for this segment is the memoir... And the album, The Rarities. The Rarities is a compilation of, or as you say, a compilation. <laughs> I can't say that word, okay? <laughs> a compilation of unreleased tracks and some B-sides throughout her career. What were some of the things that stood out for you once you read The Meaning of Mariah Carey? We both mm -hmm. read it. I read it first oh, and you God. took forever. This is a book report. You took forever. Yeah. It took a long time. I was very displeased. <laughs> Had to try and avoid all kinds of spoilers when all I wanted to do was well, pick your brain about okay. it. So to be fair, the Oprah interview, I felt spoiled a lot of it. It really didn't, though. Well, I mean, because Oprah actually did about 95% of the talking. So I, I get your point. But... I would say, so the Derek Jeter stuff is really juicy. And not just gossipy, but because Mariah was able to tell it in a way that made it feel transformative, right? Like she was in her late 20s at the time, but had never had this great love, this infatuation. Had never had any kind of love. Right, and she said before she married Sony chief Tommy Mottola, she didn't really, like, she didn't go out with guys. She lived in New York with a few friends she claims she was a virgin when she got married and There's, i believe her there was no no need to even put that on the airwaves <laughs> no 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 but there is there is because the f short fleeting relationship with Derek Jeter was so intense because it was not only it was a, a lot of firsts for well, her you know right? full and damn well what i'm getting at here she claims uh <laughs> 
Anyway, reading that part of the book was so exciting because so many of us remember those intoxicating firsts, right? Like the a, a romance that may not be serious, doesn't have to even be serious, but is really, really important to you because of when it came to you in your life. And, and for you specifically, if I can be uh, so bold, part of the early telling of our romance was you discovering Butterfly, the album, for the first time. While we right, were, right. in effect, separated doing long distance. So I don't talk about our personal life very much on this <laughs> for a reason. But uh, to to hear that some of these songs, uh, and more than we had imagined, were written right? about or about the, the time that she and Derek were a thing. She was still singing about him. It adds so many layers. On and, Rainbow. And maybe even on Charm right? <laughs> And then... the. Also that, you know, he was biracial like her, that she thought growing up that her, the, the racial animus, the, the conflict that was created by her father being black and her mom being white, that that was the reason for their family's dysfunction. And then meeting Derek Jeter's family and saying, wow, they're like really nice to each other. Irish and mother, they, black father, right? same makeup. And so it was a way to free herself and realize that, you know, my ethnic makeup isn't the reason for all this horrible trauma in my life. She even it's says just, it's really just my family. Right. Shit. She <laughs> yeah. now refers to her mother by her first name. Mm-hmm. She doesn't call her mom or mother. She calls her Patricia and her brother and sister as her ex-brother and her ex-sister. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was probably the most interesting part of the book. I'm kind of a nerd, so I... I hope there's a memoir part two because I want to know more about the actual, like what she does in the studio. How did she come up with the idea for this riff? And how did she, you know, create the vocal line for this one? And the book wasn't about that. No, right? Like it wasn't supposed to be about that. And it wasn't a celebrity tell all about the other celebrities that she's met. No. She explained it that you'll be in the book if you have something to do with the meaning of Mariah Carey. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually like, it was very well contained thematically. It wasn't like, here's everything that's happened to me in my entire life. It was, there were a few like main thesis statements. Centering herself too as a black woman, which Mm -hmm. hasn't always penetrated the public consciousness, even though it's something that was talked about very early on by her Mm -hmm. in her career, despite Sony and Tommy Mottola trying to stifle that in terms of her public appearance and her music mm-hmm. early on. And she gets accused of playing it, playing her race down as well, which I don't think is entirely fair. I'm always trying to expand the definition of what a singer-songwriter is because this label gets attached to only like certain types of people, right? Joni Mariah Mitchell, says if you're James sitting Taylor. there with a guitar, then people conjure singer-songwriter. Mm. What she doesn't say, if you're sitting there white with a guitar... Right. We talk a lot in this house about how Mariah Carey is underestimated as an artist and a songwriter, obviously. Uh, And she has started to really get her due in the public consciousness. But part of that is is color and part of that is femininity, right? Like she she exhibits this almost, I mean... An an overabundance of femininity. Right. Almost like a hallucination of femininity, like, you know, rainbows and pink butterflies and all this stuff, that turns people off and it makes people look at her as if she's a joke. 
And also, so that, that is a form of misogyny, right? Because the, it makes her makes people ignore her her talent not only as a singer but as a writer and a producer. The curious part about that has always been that those charges have been mostly levied against her by women. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. A, a one of the clearest examples of woman on woman misogyny that you'll yes. see. And please don't forget that Sandra Bernhard called her the N-word. Uh, so if you're ever watching Sandra Bernhard on Pose, remember that. She's lucky to have lived before the age of so-called cancellation. And if you have the time, look up this... I, be, I believe it was when Mariah was promoting the number ones to infinity record. And she's in Sirius Studios. And she walks by Andy Cohen's show. And Sandra Bernhard is in there. And Andy is like, Mariah, you gotta come in, you gotta come in. And Mariah's like... Um, I don't think this is a good space for me right now. And Sandra's like, no, it's all under the bridge. I love you. I love you. But we don't know, or the majority of the folks would not know what that stems from. Yeah. Keep in mind, too, that Sandra Bernard is or was Madonna's bestie. And we know that Mariah and Madonna, historically speaking, have not gotten along. I mean, Mariah used to be a fan of her back when her music was popular, like back in the 12th grade or something like that. That's so rude. <laughs> those were the, those I were know, her words. I, know. I was looking for a lot of the stuff that I didn't know. So much that was in the book I did know. It was illuminating to read Mariah talk about it in a different way, in a more in-depth way. I appreciated that. I wanted to know what happened with Walter Afanasyev. Mm-hmm. And we didn't find out. <laughs> it's not stated explicitly, but if you, but if you're able to read between the lines, you know. There's one particular mm. scene in the book where you know who was in that kitchen. Yeah. And the other thing that you come to learn from this book is that Mariah values loyalty more than most principles in her life. And so if you've been disloyal to her, you're no longer there. And so while folks are out here clamoring for Mariah to rediscover the magic of her early career and and get back to the early days when she was singing these big soaring ballads. And she, you know, for these folks, they want her to be white again. Really. Like, these are the folks who (laughs) disapproved of her career turn from Butterfly onwards, where she seriously embraced black her black culture Mm. and started producing more R&B hip-hop records. They want to go back to that, and they see Walter Afanasyev as the bridge, as the key. And that that's just never going to happen. Right. Also, like, music is different. Nobody, nobody's a balladeer anymore, first of all. Nobody is releasing Diane Warren singles and getting number ones. Also, her voice is different. It's certainly not the same as it was in 1990. And she just released a superior R&B album in Caution that was critically acclaimed, but really, like... Who was, who was paying attention, mm. right? The most critically acclaimed album of her entire career. Mm-hmm. Right. And sold nothing, got no publicity, went under the radar, but she can hang her hat on that. So, like, make music for you. Which is what MC30 is all about. It's, mm. I think she's finally leaning into her legacy. It doesn't have to be that once you get to the point where you're celebrating what you've done, that there isn't more to come. I think she's always feared that, Mm. that, that, you know, with big divas, they get cast off as legacy artists very quickly. Yes. And not having any relevance. And we know now that 
every year come November 1st, she's not going anywhere. <laughs> so has she been able to lean into that and, and stake her claim? As she says, so many of her contemporaries are no longer here. Mm-hmm. Whitney's not here. Prince is not Sadly. here. I was looking forward to hearing more maybe about the personal relationship that she had with Whitney. Perhaps not the space as it turns out in this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know you were disappointed about that. There was very little about Whitney. There was actually more about Prince. Yeah. The thing that I liked most about reading this book, and I'm almost finished with the audiobook. (laughs) (laughs) So you've read it twice. Yeah. And if you are an actual lamb, and this is really interesting to you, you have to do both. Because as you know, lyrics are interwoven in the book, and she sings them on the audiobook. We learn that she created this entirely separate genre of album while she was recording Daydream in 1995. She was in the studio recording one of the best albums of her career and then at night as an outlet she decided to do an alt record singing these ridiculous lyrics in what she felt was a style of these white women who were allowed to look however they want say whatever they want and sound however they want. But it was like a very accurate mid-90s like that Empire Records, post-grunge, alternative rock sound. It was really accurate. Like, she has a good ear. And in that audiobook, she sings some of the lyrics from one of the songs, and I had to play it for you. You haven't listened to the audiobook. And we were just laughing for a good (laughs) 30 seconds because she's mock-singing the way she was actually kind of mock-singing on that album. (laughs) And I am someone's ugly daughter. I am... Check the Ripper sister. I am. (laughs) Um, I'm being told in my monitor that I have to talk about the rarities, about the songs that I like on the rarities. You got to head up yourself mm -hmm. a little bit. I like... Track number one. um, Which is what? Oh, it sounds like a Jackson 5. Here Uh, We Go Again. Yeah. Um, Here We Go Around Again. Yes. And I like One Night, which uh, somebody remixed with... Missy Elliott's verse from a Keisha Cole song from 2007. Um, it's like very mid-90s, up-tempo R&B. The, the opening verse of that song is some of the best singing she's ever mm-hmm. done. And what else do I like? She wrote that song for that kid on Oprah. I pray. <laughs> but it sounds a lot like another song that I still can't put my finger on which song it is. You've actually gone through her discography trying to find yeah. it. And the the Irene Cara um, cover, the song from Fame. Out here on my own. I, is, I, is really good. I yeah. wore that out. That was so good. Mm-hmm. I knew of Everything Fades Away. It was a B-side. But to, to have it available streaming now is such a treat. And it's so good. Yeah. The, the two that have been floating around this year. Uh, so JoJo, the singer JoJo, did a little rendition of this with Mariah and her backup singers. After one uh, of our shows, they, they of, practiced backstage yeah. and did just the background harmony, Which was gorgeous, of Everything Fades Away. And then the other one was Slipping Away. Two songs that were, they were what, B-sides on singles? They mm-hmm. were never on the actual album that I didn't know until this year because, I don't know, I guess I was listening to The Beatles in 1995. One of them <laughs> was uh, actually on the Japanese releases. Oh, Which right. the, the Japan fans get. They deserve. They get all the good they stuff. They deserve. They got runway on caution. They treat her well. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me? It's it's like the the 
great gowns, beautiful gowns of the album. It's great singing, <laughs> beautiful melodies, but the song isn't great. Right. It's like a so what moment. Uh-huh. Right. Do you think of me? Okay. Um, all I live for, I want to love it. I know it's a favorite of a lot of fans, but oh, I, I like can't... that a lot. I love that. Yeah. But see, for me, all I can hear is that she has a cold. And it's very off-putting for me. Okay, I hear a lot of SWV layered vocals that I really, really like. I accept that I'm probably in the wrong here. We got the Loverboy original version as it was intended to be Mm. before Tommy Mottola and Jennifer Lopez colluded to (laughs) steal the sample from under her. And she had to come back and rework the song with Mm. a different sample. And it ended up being the top-selling song of 2001 anyway. And you you all wonder why people don't know Jennifer Lopez. Stole Ashanti's voice, stole samples from various artists, what passed did she do? off other people's vocals as her own. I she mean, got flack for saying the N-word on a record and she girl, had to she had to eat it. She had to sit there and eat it because she couldn't tell folks that it was actually Ashanti singing it. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. That an actual black woman was the one who said That is the fraudulence of Jennifer Lopez. And speaking of fraudulence, she recorded Barbra Streisand's classic People on a COVID special this year that was meant to be live. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. I mean, I I could not believe my ears. It was this auto-tuned disaster. People! (laughs) Everybody else sang live. I'm sure Barbara Streisand sued. So yeah, the rarities, we've been playing that a lot over the last month mm-hmm. and a half. All right, so I got ahead of myself, but Mariah announced there's going to be a Christmas special, and she revealed the initials. Mm-hmm. A-G-J-H. It was a... Attorney General? It was a picture of the back <laughs> of three director's chairs, mm-hmm. side by side. A-G on the left, M-C in the middle, and J-H on the right. And people are like, oh, my God. But clearly, Ariana Grande, Jennifer Hudson. One of my favorite Tumblr memes was Mariah Carey being put into a copy machine and Ariana Grande <laughs> coming out. It's so rude. It's, it's so, so rude. rude. Because and Ariana, like, she's showed staying power as yeah. an artist, right? Like, And she's also always been very respectful and deferential yeah. and heaping praise on Mariah. Yeah. And but Mariah now has, this is this, she's slowly come around. She has. She wishes her happy birthday now. Mm. Mariah has not always been the most generous to other female artists no. in the industry. And no. it's one of the biggest negatives that I've had in my standum of her. And that has changed. Now it's really just people who steal her music and disrespect her. Yeah. I mean, she loves JoJo. She mm-hmm. loves Ariana. Even if she doesn't love her, she shows her respect and she, you know, birthday blogger. Yeah. Like, and you know from reading the memoir now that a lot of that probably stemmed from the insecurity and the paranoia of trying to break from Sony and that marriage and Tommy Mottola and knowing that you're contractually obligated to give these five records in the middle of your prime, knowing that mm. your bosses and your ex-husband are colluding to undercut you. Right. With just trying to find the next new thing, the next female artist to take your spot. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what that must and have been And the difference like. is that, unlike J-Lo, Ariana has a lot of talent. She does. She suffers from enunciation problems. Her diction isn't the greatest. <laughs> she knows this. I heard her yeah. I heard her acknowledge it. 
But I'm here listening to her new song, Positions, and I'm like, girl, what is you saying? Like, I, I just I, don't. In 2020, I don't have the bandwidth to go look up lyrics. <laughs> I just don't. Listen, I'm still looking up Mariah lyrics. Okay? I'm used to growing like, up where you check the pamphlet, the leaflet. What do you call it? The insert. The liner notes. The insert, the liner notes from the mm. CD, and you read the lyrics while you listen to the CD. Yeah. And those albums that were released that did not have lyrics in them, utterly oh. useless. Oh my god. Very distressing. So that's a big yes. Yes. Yeah, this uh, Christmas special, it's going to be on Apple TV. We will get another free month subscription for that one. Or free five days. <laughs> <laughs> Using our 36th email. <laughs> mess. I have this squarely as a mess. Adele's return to the fore. Mm. Is this something that we need in this year, 2020? I mean, the people love Adele. They do. I, I, I worry, though, for me personally, that Adele now occupies this space of overbearing whiteness. What are you talking... You're talking about Miss Notting Hill Carnival 2020 <laughs> with the Jamaica bikini? Yeah, big friends with Chris Brown, visiting her in the middle of the night, yes. which I've come to find out Ma'am. it's because she's not romantically linked with him. It's because her current boo, whose name is Skepta, I'm not familiar with his music, is good friends with Chris Brown. I don't care what it's because, what it's for... When you hang out with abusers, that's a big side eye to me. And if, you know, this is not about tennis, but... That's to come on the uh, next episode. Okay, but anyone in tennis who defends that bullshit is no longer someone that I can support. So, I mean, Adele was... I mean, you lived through it, being awarded all those Grammys over Lemonade. I All I know is that I saw Adele give two wretched... Grammy performances. You will I mean, never be able to get over this. There was one. No, I won't. There was one where, like, there was uh, a mic stand hitting one of the chords on the piano or one of the strings on the piano and creating this weird, weird dissonance. Another um, one she had to start she, over. Yes. So she gave a off key performance on that first one, and then in the George Michael performance, she had to start over. It was a terrible arrangement. It was difficult, but the blatant injustice of not awarding Beyonce album of the year for either Beyonce or Lemonade is outrageous to me. And Adele herself, to her credit, knew that that was outrageous, Mm -hmm. that she won album of the year over Lemonade. Um, I'm not here to say that Adele is a a cultural appropriator. That's for you to decide. Like, is Adele capital P problematic? I don't know. I'm just not sure I'm here for that right now. It's not what I need in my life. Listen, Adele Atkins from London is going to come out every five or six years, sell 10 million records. She's going to go away again. That's just her thing. She's like Sade, but not as good. In terms of in terms of frequency what? of their career. Is that what you're comparing? Yes. Okay. yes. Not in terms of talent. Sade releases a literal classic, stone cold classic every like eight years. She may not sell 10 million I understand. Records. I thought you yeah. were making a comparison between the vocal talent. I mean, vocals, whatever. Like, that's true. They're very different artists. They have a pretty unique sound. I like Adele, honestly. I really do. Like, I'm not bumping her albums. I'm just not. But there are a lot of her songs that I like. I think she's very talented. I didn't enjoy her music until the last record. There were a few songs oh. on her last record that I really, really loved. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to another niche thing that... 
maybe 10% of the people listening will care about. Trash reality TV. <laughs> if it's trash, you are there. 90 Day Fiance is one of my favorite shows. It's one of the best things about 2020 for me. They give you so much content. There are so many spinoffs. There, I mean, at any moment on TLC, there is a 90 Day Fiance spinoff showing something. The one that we're watching right now is The Other Way. Right, so this is where U.S. citizens go to another country to be with the person that they they love. They've mm-hmm. struck up a relationship with. All the couples are a complete mess, to be frank, for the most part. R- right, some more than others. The other way is interesting because in, in many ways it is less exploitative than the original incarnation of 90 Day Fiancé, which is where you had citizens of other countries come to the United States... You know, they came on a spousal visa. They have 90 days to figure out if this relationship is going to work. And you can, of course, you can see the power imbalance mm-hmm. embedded in that relationship. Right? In this one, you just get to see the xenophobia and the ignorance and <laughs> right. just the complete Yankeeism of it all. Yeah. So we won't talk about all of them. But the, the couple that is of particular interest for us is Kenny and Armando uh, because they are a gay couple. They're, it's a May-December romance. I mean, like, December 27th. (laughs) (laughs) But Kenny is a a gentleman from Florida. He's over here looking like square in the middle of fall. He's 57. He he does not look 57. He must know Jane Fonda's doctor. Uh, But Kenny has moved from Florida to Baja, California in Mexico to be with Armando. Armando has a daughter. He was married. His wife passed away. And he's just now coming out to his family. It's very, you know, this is not Mexico City, right? They live in a rural area. Same-sex marriage is now is now legal in Mexico, but social issue or social attitudes take a long time to change. And Kenny would do well to remember that in Florida not so long ago, this was not only illegal, but it was also completely forbidden, right, to be mm-hmm. openly gay. Um, and currently, anywhere in the currently your rights in the U.S. as a gay person is under threat with the current makeup of the right. U.S. Supreme the, Court. They are precarious. But the United States, you know, if it is any sort of progressive beacon, it has only changed in the past 20 years, years or less, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway. It started there's... with the Prop 8 the musical. That's, that's the turning <laughs> point for me yeah. with Jennifer Lewis. <laughs> On Prop 8, the musical. Right. I I mean, I remember we were in college during the George W. Bush years and feeling very, very bleak, uh, like we had no future. And that was only, what, 15 years ago? So Kenny moves to Mexico to be with Armando and his, his very sweet daughter. And Kenny has made no efforts in the three years they've been together to learn any Spanish. He's, like, he he cannot said, even say gracias. He can't even say te amo. He says te amo. <laughs> every single complaint Maybe he speaks he, Italian. Every um, single be- complaint he has, of which they are never ending, mm-hmm. as this I need it my way type I mean, A white man He doesn't in like Mexico. Mexican food. Everything is fixable by even trying to learn some Spanish. Mm. Oh my God, it just occurred to me. I really love Hannah, but it's going to be so difficult to be her father because I can't because we can't communicate well. And it's like, whose problem is that? How can we like, fix that? And then he says, "I guess she's going to have to learn English." That's what he says to Armando, and Armando is <laughs> like, "Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess because maybe he understood that he 
he understands that he's with a complete deadweight. Well, yeah, I guess because Armando has were, a lot of problems. If to that deal with were right me, now. it'd be like no, sweetie. Like, but I mean, at fifty-seven years old, we're not expecting you to become fluent. No, but, no, no. It's about the effort. Exactly. Like, can you order in a restaurant? You know, can you go to a store? Can you talk to your stepdaughter? You don't have to be a genius in Spanish, but you, you do know, you have a smartphone the, where the you can effort. where you can punch things into Google Translate and have Miss Google say something, translate something. Like, yeah. There's literally less than zero effort, mm. and all complaining. I cannot deal with it. The entitlement is through the yeah. roof. And so, uh, you know, we mentioned that this version is possibly less exploitative than the original version but you can see sort of reproducing these first world third world stereotypes and power relations even within relationships right so like kenny this white man is telling armando you need to come out you need to tell your parents in front of everyone that you're engaged you need to do this you need to do that and i'm not going to learn spanish and And it's like this is his home this is his family's home in their town, in their country, and the U.S. has only been, uh, quote-unquote, enlightened for, like, a few years, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, this is not some backward backwater. For one, Kenny, you have 30 years in Armando. There's a lot of living that that you've done, you've already been through, that you are taking from him. He's willingly giving that up, but you're also forcing him to do things at a rate that is completely unreasonable. And then when you do force him to make this big coming out scene in front of the entire family, all the the aunties and the father and the mother, and there's this big emotional scene, you're then saying, oh, well, that was very uncomfortable. Wow. Right. And like, why isn't she like, hugging me? Why? Why? I, I felt so out of place. Nobody welcomed me. Mm. Like, well, what is missing here? What are you not understanding? Well, everything. Because... <laughs> He doesn't speak any Spanish. He's <laughs> illiterate in speaking Spanish, and he's illiterate when it comes to emotional intelligence, apparently. All that said, I do hope they succeed. Out of all the couples on 90 Day Fiancé, it feels like they have the best chance. Kenny, because of Hannah. Kenny That's has the only problems, reason for me. But, they, but he has made sacrifices to move there. Um, Armando has made big sacrifices, but... what What is he going to do? Go... Pay for trade in in Orlando. Excuse me. He has he has kids, right? He's he's left his kids in Florida. They're grown still. But I understand it must that, be but very, this very is difficult. like possibly a last chance at love for him. <laughs> really, I'm just saying. Okay, but uh, I am rooting for them because they do actually seem to love each other, unlike most of the other couples. <laughs> in more messy news, TikTok. Mm-hmm. TikTok is basically the minstrel show of. The 21st century. I have here noted on the agenda, TikTok is the fast food of white people appropriating culture and being racist. You can have it your way, any which way, all day. I mean, I first heard about TikTok with the whole renegade dance, which was a dance that a a young black girl made up and then it went viral, right? And, And she did kind of finally get her things because she was profiled by, I don't know, like the New York Times or a big publication. Uh, but that's kind of what TikTok is. Right, it's um, not entirely, but for a lot of the things that go viral are like either songs by black artists, mm-hmm. dances made, invented or made popular by black artists, and 
a whole lot of white teenagers yeah. doing them. So now the the number five combo on the TikTok menu, value meal menu, <laughs> is WAP by Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion. Mm. Everywhere you go on TikTok is all these white boys doing the WAP dance. I just want to say, like, from the top, make it stop. <laughs> <laughs> And so there's, there's yes, really two options. Don't, don't gobble me. <laughs> and don't Just swallow don't, me. Don't. No gobbling, no swallowing, don't, no tickling. Don't drip down the side of anyone. No tickling in the back of the throat. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, before it was the Savage Dance. It was Megan and Beyonce's Savage mm. remix. And so with this one, the appropriating of the black culture ticks, it's... It's branched out into two types of videos, it seems, where you gyrate to the song and do the dance. Mm. I mean, the or, dance is, I I mean, I can't even fathom being able to do that dance. In what universe? Okay, so when it's done well, there's some skill involved. <laughs> right. Great. But the other way is to have the song played for your unknowing older white relative, be it your mother, your father, or your grandparents, or your auntie. When you're springing it on your 90-year-old granny in the home, that's a totally different thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you play part of WAP for your family and see how they react. react. It's like, oh my God, this is not music. Jenny, Jenny, Becky, turn it off. Turn it off. I mean, my parents know what WAP stands for, and they're fine with it. Do you know that they're fine with it? <laughs> <laughs> Have you had that conversation? <laughs> I'm sure as hell not having that conversation with my parents. No, indeed not. The other thing that TikTok has been good for is... Well, we haven't said another one. This is like the only thing that TikTok Oh, right, right. I mean, I love... TikTok is very... You spend a lot of time very entertaining. There's like a lot of dog videos and Mm -hmm. stuff. But this video with a a guy on a skateboard... He's on a skateboard with uh, ocean spray cranberry juice vibing to dreams by fleetwood mac which is literally my favorite song and because of this video it sparked all these you know imitations and everything dreams returned to the top 20 of the billboard hot 100 it was a number one in i think 1977 it peaked again at number 12 and it was the biggest gainer in sales streaming on the entire billboard chart is it still climbing or is that is No, that it's gone back to like uh, the 20s or the 30s now. But it, it was just crazy. Like so many young people discovered this song. I'm speaking as a nerd who listens to rumors constantly. I listen to basically like three albums ever. And rumors is on rotation no matter what. And what, to prove that I've been listening to you with your interminable <laughs> did you knows. Stevie, Stevie Nicks mm. went into a, a room and wrote the song in like 10 minutes and the rest of the band didn't want to sing it. They didn't think it was that great. Mm. Isn't they, that what it, they thought it was simple and boring because it, it's really just like two chords over and over again. And I've heard like, oh, she took the uh, the Fender Rhodes or some some accounts say that she wrote it on a Casio keyboard, whatever. But she wrote a very simple, straightforward song called Dreams. And then the band didn't really like it. But then Lindsey Buckingham played guitar on top of it, built this this really interesting bridge, and here you have this indelible song, this classic song, a number one, Fleetwood Mac's only number one in the U.S., and 
it's it's not as simple as you think, right? Like you mm. keep hearing new things about it. I mean, I'm just I could go on and on. Personally, I don't think it was that great. I've never really been a fan well, of that album. Anyway. Um, Which is what somebody said to you when you went on about how much you loved it on Twitter. It's like, like, this is a weird dynamic, right? You say something on Twitter where, oh my God, I love this. This means a lot to me. I get so much joy. In this wretched year, I get so much joy (laughs) from this one thing. And the response is, well, personally, I never really cared for it. I don't think it's that great. Yeah. But like, I did not ask. Um, Anyway, Stevie Nicks, a singer-songwriter extraordinaire, has returned to the top 10 in iTunes with another song with Miley Cyrus. So Miley Cyrus has a song called Midnight Sky, I think. She's remixed it and has used the chorus from Stevie Nicks' classic Edge of Seventeen and that that classic guitar riff that you can hear in Destiny's Child, Bootylicious. Um, It's a cool song. So Stevie is just having having quite a few weeks. Joni Mitchell, my other fave, is having a, a great few months as well because Taylor Swift is trying to become her. <laughs> it just had to be messy there. Well, we were talking about Ariana. I don't really know a lot about new music. I know that Taylor Swift released like a, a a Taylor Swift in the Woods album. I can't. Remember, I don't remember what it's called, um, but it's like her Joni Mitchell album. I have nothing to add on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You want some more mess? Always. I don't want to die with this music still inside me, Simon. <laughs> If you know what that's from, kudos to you. <laughs> this is a deep cut. Uh, this was X Factor US, probably season the one. first season, yeah. right? I think the only season that we watched. Stacey Francis, back in 2011, then 42 years old, auditioned for X Factor. And this was right around the time when we started to realize that quite of these people who auditioned for these shows, they were not your unearthing the rough diamond kind of thing. It right. was people who would... They had already recorded. They may have had a contract She'd before. been on Broadway. Uh, she yeah. was in a uh, a group in the early 90s. It like, wasn't Kelly Clarkson, right? Who came no. from Texas and nobody knew her. But she had this story, right? Mm-hmm. Mother of two young kids. And she didn't want to die with the music still inside her. It was very, you know, through the tears, it was compelling. Mm-hmm. And, and she gave a great performance of Purple Rain. She did. It's my favorite cover of Purple Rain. I know there's um, a lot of... I'm pretty sure that Beyonce has one. Uh, so okay. I think you should probably... On the rooftop in front of back. Nicole Scherzinger and Enrique Iglesias shedding a tear. <laughs> Stacey Francis singing Purple Rain and did it for me. Yes, yes. I was actually a fan of her in that season. I wanted her to win. Um, looking back... Until... Looking back, watching some of those performances now, some of them were complete train wrecks. Maybe if I'd known her back in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe tell the people why you're being so bad-minded. Okay, so during this whole mess of a political season, this agenda was started like maybe two weeks ago. She tweeted something about how um, Biden's plan and wanting pe- is sounding like he wants people to stay inside forever. Like that, that's just not going to work. And I'm sitting there like, well, damn it, Stacey. Like if you don't sit your ass at home, you really are going to die with that music still inside you. <laughs> no. This is also Stacey Francis who infamously had a dust-up slash fight Yo. with Whitney Houston at Clive Davis's pre-Grammy party two days before she died in 2012. Because Stacey was allegedly involved with Ray J. Uh-huh. Norwood, Brandy's brother. Listen, Stacey, her most recent musical release was a song featuring Brandy Norwood. What? Two years ago. Excuse me? I was me? floored to learn that today. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know if Stacy and Ray J continued their relationship. All I know, well, one of the things I know is that uh, Ray J, his sex game must have like five stars on Yelp because he has made his way through the music industry. I mean, he started with a sex tape with Kim Kardashian, right. launched that career. People were tweeting like, no wonder Whitney beat your ass, Stacy. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and he also has a thing for older women, apparently. Right. But because at that time, Whitney was in her late 40s and Stacy was like 43 at that time. Mm. But rest in peace, the legendary Whitney Houston yes. would never be a Trump supporter. By the way, I would not s- swear for anybody in this thing. I would, I would absolutely hope and believe that that's mm. the case, but I would never, never swear hundred percent for anybody <laughs> ever again. When it comes there to have politics. been some surprises, but I don't think she would have been one of them. Um, and so that's lingered for Miss Stacy throughout the rest of mm. her life. That one weekend, she's tried to clear it up. They, she was on Celebrity Big Brother in in the UK. We watched that season. Or some mm. of it. And then a surprise guest, new celebrity guest in the house. And there was Ray J. <laughs> and they had this like whole confessional thing. This powwow where Ray J's like, it was all my fault. It was all my fault. Well, what was your fault, Ray J? I don't think we actually got the story about that. Stacy says that it wasn't really a fight. And that Ray J could have stood up for her and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, all I know is that... The other thing I know is that it seems like that Norwood family has a lot of mess going on <laughs> all the time. Monica could never. <laughs> uh, some more mess. Chris Pratt. So this is so old by now. Like we, we've been, this has been in the works for a long time. I mean, so. it's still going on. People are still answering. Yeah, so Chris, the Chris Pratt, Pratt has thing. to go. So people, you know, this meme, someone presents four photos and it says one has to go. One has to go. Eggs, bacon, ham, sausage, mm-hmm. breakfast foods. Chris Pratt, he has right. to go. So that, that was the gist of it. You right. Know? So somebody presented all the Chris's. Yeah. Or all the Avengers or whatever. And but that's also been something that's been going on for years before mm-hmm. it made its way into this meme right. form. Everybody's like, who's your favorite Chris? Yeah. So universally, Chris Pratt was the one who had to go. He was on Parks and Rec. Then he got really hot. And then mm, he did Garden, he Guardians of the Galaxy. He was never hot. But anyway. He was never hot. I just need to state that category. But then people caught wind of his religious and political beliefs, mm-hmm. right? He's part of um, that church that Justin Bieber is a part of. I forgot what it was called. Hillsong. Yeah, the one that's homophobic. But he's also he's also walking around in Don't Tread on Me shirts, which has been reappropriated by white supremacists. Like, really alarming right-wing mm-hmm. political views. There's so, some alarming things from his previous marriage to... Or Anna Ferris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Chris... If, he, there's a, if there's one to go, it's obvious. He's the least of the Chris's. And the thing about it is that people weren't even taking it that seriously. No. There was no animus toward Chris Pratt. Evans, fine. Captain America, unproblematic. Chris Evans, he's got to stay. Chris Pine, got to stay. Chris Hemsworth, hot Australian, hasn't really stepped a foot wrong. He's got to stay. And even if you're not into Hemsworth, you are in close proximity to another brother. Exactly. Exactly. Two other brothers. (laughs) So Pratt has got to go. As the famouses are realizing that their bro, Chris mm-hmm. Pratt, is just being oppressed, is being discriminated against, persecuted. His career is in peril. His good okay. name is being tarnished. The, the social justice warriors have really just lined up 
to defend their bro, mm-hmm. Chris Pratt. Mark Ruffalo, who parades around in these streets, masquerades as as a anti-racist activist, all this stuff, you know, on the front lines of Black Lives Matter and, and every social justice movement. He is positioning himself as an ally, but one of those allies who is very vocal, right? You know, those mm-hmm. are the ones you have to yeah. always, always be skeptical of. But it's like part of his brand. Okay, so that's that. That's who he is. Here comes Mr. Ruffalo to tweet, you all, at Pratt Pratt Pratt, that's Chris Pratt's Twitter handle apparently, you all, Chris Pratt is as solid a man as there is. I know him personally, and instead of casting aspersions, look at how he lives his life. He is just not overtly political as a rule. This is a distraction. Let's keep our eye on the prize, friends. We are so close now. The prize being the election, so close being close to what? becoming uh, president. Okay, uh, there are a few problems with that. He is overtly political. Mm-hmm. That's that much is very clear. We can multitask, Over, right? Like I can actively hate on Chris Pratt. I was just sitting here having a laugh on my living room couch, but I can now also actively be annoyed by this and throw my energy toward Chris Pratt and still have some for Donald Trump. Can you imagine being a celebrity? And being extremely disturbed that somebody said your friend was the least of the four Chris's. Of the very handsome, wealthy, privileged, much-loved Chris's. Mm-hmm. That's it. And even, he, even if <laughs> it weren't about the other stuff, he is the least of the four, looks-wise. But, like, case closed. Right, but, like, it's okay. It's gonna, Chris is gonna be okay. All of the Chris's are gonna be okay. This is what I say, like, in tennis frequently, people line up behind people who don't need your help. Mm -hmm. Like, you have centered yourself at the forefront of these social justice movements as being a big voice within the Black Lives Matter movement, where people are actually imperiled. People are actually dying. Chris Pratt is not dying. He's (laughs) not imperiled. This is not that serious. And it wasn't just him. It was his Marvel buddies. I know him personally. Maybe you need okay. to choose your friends better. I don't know what to say to it that. It sounds like Michelle Obama knowing George W. Bush personally. Right? Sorry. And Even the Obamas make, aren't off limits. Does that make Michelle Obama a horrible person? It means she made and continues to make a horrible shit choice. <laughs> right? In my People opinion. contain multitudes. You don't need to be out here championing for this dude. And by doing that, you're undercutting the work that you claim you're doing in other areas. We have this final section about uh, TV shows we've been watching because there is nothing to do. We're working from home. We can't go out. And uh, not complaining. Just, <laughs> But all we've been doing is watching TV and movies. Mm-hmm. I would recommend watching the Dolly Parton uh, documentary on Netflix. A it was yes, wonderful. A big yes to that. Interviews with Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, among many other people. The stories about how Dolly wrote and created the soundtrack for 9 to 5. Mhm. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Her talent is incredible. A couple of these are are maybes in between yes and mess. Okay. Okay. Some of them are resounding yeses. Uh, a big, we left off the the messes right. completely from this. A big yes, The Queen's Gambit, mm-hmm. which I didn't even really want to watch because I don't know how to play chess. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in playing chess. And for me, this was a very Friday Night Lights experience because I hate football, but Friday Night Lights is one of my favorite shows ever. Uh, The Queen's Gambit is just a very, very well 
constructed, well-written, short little series Mm -hmm. about a chess prodigy. Credit to my parents here who recommended that one for us to watch. Also, we'll get to another one that my father recommended later on. (laughs) (laughs) Queen's Gambit, slowly paced, impeccably acted, Mm. and took me back to a childhood playing chess recreationally, not seriously at all. I mean, I still understand the game. I know how to play it. And I've since gone to play some chess online afterward. It helps pass the time in quarantine. Uh, but absolutely recommend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anya Taylor-Joy, who you may know from The Witch, which is an excellent horror film. She's building uh, an amazing career. The thing that I really appreciated about this this show, and it was a choice, is the fact that every single one of the men that she beat from a young girl, which meant she was beating boys much older than her mm-hmm. at that time, every single boy slash man that she played was not embarrassed or felt demeaned by losing to a, a girl or right. woman. And I don't know if that's realistic, but they treated her as if she was just that talented. Mm-hmm. Like they respected her. But also this is part of the work that needs to be done in storytelling to shift the way that we view women's participation in traditionally male spaces. Mm. Like you watch Queen's Gambit and then maybe you'll then apply that or no big dealness to some other avenue. It's the way that ESPN has failed to lift up women's sport throughout their existence from the early 80s. When you have women's basketball, the WNBA, the, the finals going on, and you have it in minute 40 of your episode, and you're showing like some Bush League shit for the first 20 minutes, you know? That's an active choice. Fine. More people may have watched that Bush League shit than the WNBA Finals, but you are able to influence and shift cultural views through your programming. And really, nobody will care. When it comes down to it, you may have a few bro- a few bros on Reddit in a subreddit going off about it in their basement, but next week, nobody will care. And before you know it, people's attitudes start to change. Teenage Bounty Hunters was another fave of mine. It's about two uh, teenage girls who are twins in the Atlanta suburbs who kind of stumble into a career as bounty hunters. It's a comedy. It's like a 10-episode series. I'd seen it on Netflix for a long time and didn't even watch the preview because I assumed it was going to be some zombie shit. I don't know why, but that's what I thought it was. And I was like, I'm not here for that. And then when we really were suffering for for needing something to watch, I looked up the reviews and I was like, okay, let's give this a shot. It was it was actually very funny, and it was cute. And uh, if you're feeling high on Georgia these days, these young women, they could have been some of the voters that made uh, Joe Biden possibly president. Grand Army? You know, we are always here for angsty, gritty teenage dramas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Grand Army, you know, Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn. It's a, a public high school in Brooklyn. I don't know if it's a real school, but that's what it's about. Uh, It's about like an academically prestigious public high school in New York and, you know, teenage shit, but Um, on steroids. Some serious stuff deals with sexual violence. And there was a certain point earlier on in the show when we were like, I'm not okay with how this is being handled. But then they turned it around. Yeah. And Pamela Adlon's daughter plays one of the lead roles. We just finished the season of We Are Who We Are last night. Another another angsty teenage drama. This one set 
in northeast Italy on a U.S. military base. In Chioggia. Chioggia, yeah, right near Venice. And it was created by Luca Guadagnino, who was the director of Call Me By Your Name. So there are some of those elements present in this series. It's very slow, very overindulgent. It's, it's very cinematic, right? There's a lot of long, 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 moody shots. Mm-hmm. There are a couple um, scenes that went four minutes too long. <laughs> One in particular at the end of an episode... When you're like, okay, I, I want to go to bed right now. Right, right. And this is just carrying on completely unnecessarily. <laughs> That's what I mean by overindulgent. Just one in particular. But I think the series overall was, it had so many beautiful visual moments. It was well worth it. Mm-hmm. It's set in 2016, right when Trump comes to power. Wow, that sounds very Hitler-esque. Mm. It features Martin Scorsese's daughter, mm-hmm. who I, I guess she's like 18 years old. Chloe Savini plays the head of the army base what is that rank the, corporal she's a colonel colonel but she she's like the she's the boss the highest ranking mm-hmm. person she's a lesbian and there are these unspoken ramifications of don't ask don't tell no longer being a policy mm-hmm. where you if you're paying attention you're wondering what was her career like before this how are people reacting to her now because it's the first time that she's being elevated to this position and are people questioning her, her authority because of this. Right. Kid Cudi is in it as an actor. Blood Orange or Dev Hines did the score. And he features very prominently in the finale. The it's, good... not a sh- it's not a show that you're necessarily looking for plot or answers or having things wrapped up mm-hmm. in a nice bowl for you. You're just going along for the, the cinematic experience. And <laughs> for the most part, unproblematic but serious shit. Yeah. The Good Lord Bird which features Ethan Hawke as John Brown. If you're not American, you may not know who John Brown is. I certainly did not. Right? We learned about him in U.S. history in the U.S. He, uh, well, he was a very militant abolitionist, an activist against slavery right before the U.S. Civil War, uh, carried out several, well, I guess you could call them terrorist attacks in the U.S. <laughs> against slave owners. Uh, it's fascinating. It's sort of an irreverent look at John Brown that is mostly historical. It was cool for me because one of the first episodes takes place in Rochester, New York, which is my hometown, which was the home of Frederick Douglass and was a stop on the Underground Railroad. Um, so that Shout was cool. out to Portia Williams, who may now know what right. the Underground Railroad is. Yeah. Portia has done a lot to live That's that down. That's why I said she That's is, why I said she may now right. know. She is putting her body on the line Mm -hmm. for the cause. David Diggs from Hamilton played Frederick Douglass in the series. And it's cool, to obviously, to see my hometown in that that light. Now to the other recommendation from my father, The Boys. We still have two more episodes to get through season two. And this is typically not the type of fare that we watch. Mm -hmm. I think after the recommendation, it took us like a month before we actually sat down to watch it. The superhero shit, not my bag. And this is like a twisted version of the superhero stuff. It's like they're publicly there to to serve and save the public, but they're really murderous, power-hungry assholes. Mm -hmm. That's actually a a fairly interesting twist on the whole thing, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. Because the superhero genre is traditionally quite conservative, right? It's about like reinforcing the importance of police and law and order and... Patriotism. ...status quo, right? It's vigilante justice, but... The Boys kind of problematizes that and says, 
look, this superheroes are just an extension of the military-industrial complex. Where it becomes problematic is the somewhat incestuous sex scenes, the sticking a hand into a chest and ripping out a heart. Yeah, it's like... The heads just randomly exploding out of nowhere. You never know when something truly gross is going to happen. At a certain point, I'm like, wow. And the camera never cuts away. No, I'm like, wow, my my father really watched this (laughs) and enjoyed it. I'm not saying it always succeeds, but there are some concepts that are pretty interesting. It's the type of show where when you're finally enjoying a nice 20-minute stretch of being fully engaged and like, oh, yeah, what's going to happen? Something happens yeah. to, like, pull you back. Like somebody's face gets ripped off. Or and they show the whole thing. somebody gets almost strangled by a 50-foot dick. Literally. Literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the last episode we watched. Yeah. So I think this one is squarely in the middle for me. That's it. That's that's our yes or mess. We are living in a lot of mess. Hopefully we brought you a lot of yeses with this <laughs> episode that it served as a bit of a respite we'll be back with regularly scheduled tennis programming next week to deal with the stuff that you alluded to on this episode with that tennis player who is not going to be named right now but rest assured it will be covered on the podcast thank you for listening to our diversion i'm james at elliot jmr on twitter two l's two t's i'm jonathan at tennis underscore john if you are a regular tennis listener, hopefully this wasn't too horrible for you if you made it through to the end. And if you are a new listener, you somehow came across this pop culture stuff. We also have uh, a longstanding tennis podcast that we do semi-regularly. <laughs> this is not the typical subject no, matter. <laughs> so don't we're not going to be coming with another yes or mess anytime soon. Unless this like gets rapturous reviews and and reception and we get a pulitzer or something Mm -hmm. right thanks for listening till next time thank you very much